Dotnet Rocks, episode 996, with guest Doc Norton. Recorded Thursday, June 5th, 2014. Thank you very much. Welcome back to the Fishbowl on the floor of the Norwegian Developers Conference. Uh, it's .NET Rocks, Carl and Richard. It is. Here again, for your listening pleasure. What can we say that's uh, dribble-drabble? Well, you know, this, podcast dribble-drabble. Nice. Well, the, the sessions are all in right now, so this is sort of the quietest that it gets on the floor. Yeah. It's a great time to record. It is a good time. Yeah, absolutely. You can, you're going to hear a little milling about in the background. That's normal That's for always us. good. Yeah. You know, there's always something going on. Uh, attendee party tonight. Yeah, should be off the hook. Should be off the hook. Are you going to play? I think so. I hope you will. Yeah, they usually ask me to play. Yeah. I see a set of drums up there. You're not going to play those. Oh, uh, no. But that means that there's going to be a band. For sure. All right. Well, let's roll that funky music. All right, buddy. What do you got? So, as you know, uh, every once in a while, I get the, the video, audio video programming bug. Yes. Yes, you, I do know that. Yeah. That is very true. And uh, But do you know the story of uh, I was trying to capture a video with the Kinect, and so I was, uh, I was looking for solutions to do this. Through Better Know Framework, I found a way to do it. Um, it was a little convoluted. Yeah. You know, with the Kinect um, for Windows, you basically just get a frame of raw data 30 times a second. Right. And so making a video from that turns out to be a challenge for a WPF developer. If you're a C++ developer and you're in a DirectX environment... You can handle the buffers you can yourself. Handle it. Yeah, there's, yeah, it's a high-performance environment. But in a WPF environment, you're on a UI thread. Right. And all you got what is do stream. You do? Yeah, you're going to... Yeah, changing threads isn't an option. You have data <laughs> there, right? Right. It's tough. So, um, so I did find this uh, AVI, uh, Sharp AVI, mm-hmm. that uh, I seemed, remember. seemed to work, but it... But it, but from it, it created an AVI that was upside down. Oh, really? Yeah. That's and really so then funny. I had to use this FFmpeg thing to go and process it after the fact to flip it over. To flip it over, That's frame funny. by frame. So it's was just, it mirrored too? Like you know stuff? No, just completely flipped. Just flipped. Okay. Yeah. So um, so it turns out it was a miscommunication on the part of the customer that they wanted video at all. Oh, no. They didn't actually want video. What they wanted was a few still frames. Like, still frames would have been fine. They didn't actually need an MPEG file. Interesting. They just needed the frames. Dude, you built a feature. So, yeah. So, just putting it... So, that that's how that turned out. <laughs> but anyway, now that I don't need the feature, I found the tool to do it. Oh, no. That's too funny. T-Encoder. So, tencoder.codeplex.com. And that's the letter T with the word encoder. Uh, this is a multi-threaded video converter that use, uses M-encoder, M-player, and FFmpeg. FFmpeg is sort of the center of the universe command line tool. Right. That's a that's a jack of all trades. You know, multi-format converter uh, does everything. Center of the universe. Yeah. Uh, to to go on here, it can convert almost every video type to each other. It can download videos from YouTube, etc. Shh. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Uh, subtitles with same name as video can be hard coded into video. Up to eight simultaneous encoders can be run 
You can select between multiple audio and subtitle tracks. Extracting video or audio content is possible. Edit subtitle and audio delays and part of video that will be encoded. Effects like deinterlacing can be applied to videos. Okay, there you go. All right. Know it, learn it, love it. Know it, learn it, love it. So it's kind of fun. You know, and from looking at this, I'm not sure if it's an app or if it's an API, but uh, it kind of looks like an app. It's totally lot current, right? But that's, source code is there. Yeah, and up to date is June 2014. Yep. That's awesome, dude. The encoder. Yeah. And it's got four stars. One uh, ra- one rating. <laughs> the one That one guy likes it a lot. Yeah, that one guy likes it. So awesome. I'm, I'm going to check it out anyway because it kind of looks powerful. Yeah. So who's talking to us, man? Hey, I grabbed a comment off of show 824. So back in the roster a little bit, about a year ago. And that was a, set, a, a show we did with Mr. Scott Ambler. Remember Scott? I do remember Scott. we were Scott. talking about optimizing that was that, Agile. That was the Better ad, uh, better Software Conference. It was, it? yeah. On the, well, it was that road on trip. Road stop. trip. Yeah. Right. We had a lot of fun there. That was crazy. That was, it was fun. The 2012 road trip, which is a beast. Uh, and Nathan Pledger wrote this awesome comment. Uh, ah, Agile. Good start. <laughs> a methodology that is surrounded with hype and understanding. You can see him just stroking his beard when he says yeah, that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, between my experience and postgraduate project management learnings, I am able to see what Agile is for. I totally agree that people who shout, we're Agile, rarely are. It can work and is highly beneficial, but it's also very challenging to do. Wasn't he the guy who said, uh, who coined the phrase, Agile, but? We're Agile, but we only do Scrum. Yes, we're agile, but we don't do this or we don't do that. Agile, but we have to. But we have a fixed deadline. Yeah. Agile, but we're agile, <laughs> but we have. But everything comes down from above. That's right. Uh, Nathan goes on to say, Boss tells me everything I need to do. The client is the biggest problem for me. They must actively participate in testing and feedback between deliveries, and that's rarely fully achieved. And guess what? They have their own business to run, and they're probably already really busy because they are paying you to optimize their business processes. You know, writing software. Ergo, they just want a finished product to use. You mentioned the programmer's ability to meet the client. That is also essential, in my opinion. Only then will the requirements be adequately understood instead of the Chinese whispers of documentation exercises. That's a good line. Oh, it's like the water torture. That's a good line. I like that line. Whispers uh, of I asked my peers who shout about how they do Agile and when they last met the customers, and they usually go quiet. Hmm. So I've had projects where we literally had the domain expert, the customer, mm-hmm. in the room while we were coding or on the phone. Like mm-hmm. they were just, it was a big part of their day. In it. Yep. So yep. Because it was those minute to minute discussions as we were going along things that made the difference. Yeah. You know, you still never get un- fully understand a project up front, but you find out about it sooner when they're involved as you go along. Or in some cases, you figure out uh, from the customer that you think you need to write a video file. Right. And what you really need just a few is frames. a few frames. Yeah, who would do that? Yeah. I don't know. Because what somebody says a video file is, is completely different from what it actually is. <laughs> yeah. uh, finally, this is Nathan again. Finally, the contractual position that Agile necessitates is a difficult one for the customer to accept. Scott mentions projects that should be, quote, open-ended to reduce on fixed timescales. Uh, so that leaves us to present to the customer a proposition that, yeah, we can do your software, but we need at least 10 hours of your time a week. We don't really know when we're going to deliver it until it's delivered. And this harks back to the riddle conversations. And we're not going to tell you when we'll be finished or if it will be finished. And therefore, here's our open-ended invoice. And that's not going to happen, at least for the clients I work no. for. No. And I think, you know, Nathan's 
painting a pretty worst case scenario there. You know, the whole reason we do sprints is to get it down into pieces that the we can believe we can actually deliver on. The right. customer can actually see some results, and then you get to have a conversation about going again. Right. You know, part of this is the conflict of interest of I want to keep my developers working. So, you know, committing to only a sprint or only guaranteeing payment for that sprint is a risk on my part as the development lead as well as it is on the customer's part. But that's how you build trust. If you're not creating some exposure in the first place, you know, to yourself, you can't have it both ways. Doc's like, you're stealing all my lines, dude. <laughs> it's totally, Nathan, totally with love you. your comment. That's why I brought it up. I'm sure Doc and I, and I, and all of us are going to talk about it for a while. So let me close this out by saying thank you so much. A .NET Rocks mug is on its way to you. If you'd like a .NET Rocks mug, write a comment on the website at .NET Rocks.com or in any of our mobile apps. We've got them for Windows 8, Windows Phone 7 and 8, iOS and Android. And those apps are built by Diatom Enterprises. Who'd love to build you an app? Just go to DiatomEnterprises.com. And before we go any further, let me tell you, Pluralsight is home to the largest technology and creative training library on the planet. They have thousands of developer, IT, and creative courses authored by MVPs and industry experts and .NET Rocks guests. They release dozens of new courses every month and offer a free 10-day trial, giving you 200 minutes of access, with a wide range of topics, including iOS, Java, Android, web development, and pretty much anything and everything Microsoft Try Pluralsight today. Subscription plans start at just $29 a month. That brings us to Michael Doc Norton, once a dedicated code slinger. Doc has turned his energy toward helping teams, departments, and companies better work together in the pursuit of better software. What a great bio. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Welcome back, man. Great to see you, sir. And I think I've spent more time with you in the past few days than ever before. It's really been a pleasure to, to, to chat and wander around and yeah. did some touring. And yeah, beautiful city. Had yeah. some good times. Fantastic yeah. stuff. So, uh, I don't, let's not let Nathan's comment go because I know you were, you were a very polite guest. It's just you were holding back there. Do you, and I think I, I wanted to hit on that last point there of, especially if it's a contract developer who's going to work agile for someone. You know, you want to know your guys are going to be employed for the next year. Right. But you can't make a year-long plan because you just don't know enough. No, there's you don't. A, there's a trust dynamic there. Yeah, there is. And I, I think I think some of the things that we may end up seeing here uh, is is a, is something of a shift in the industry in terms of the way that uh, contracts are approached and the way that we actually uh, approach jobs, right? Sure. Um, you know, some, some organizations are uh, experimenting with moving more towards uh, retainer-based uh, development right. Uh, approaches, right? You know, think of think of how you would uh, engage a, a lawyer, right? Yep. The, the lawyer can't tell you how much he's going to bill you next month. How much he's going to bill you next month? No idea. It depends on what's going to come up, yeah. right? Um, uh, and then there's also organizations that are moving towards like value based billing. Mm-hmm. So saying, okay, look, you know, let, let's sit down and have a discussion about uh, how much this feature is worth to your organization, right? And, you know, let's figure out what is a, is a fair cost for that. And yeah. then if we feel that we can do it for that cost. And, and honestly, if, 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 uh, if you are a, a software delivery company um, and, you know, you've built some internal tooling that allows you to get things up and done faster yeah. and you've built a competency, right? This is a way that you can actually increase your profit margin. It's something I've talked about extensively, um, not necessarily on the show, but in, in, in uh, sessions and so forth, it's like so often as development folks, we ignore the ROI that our software brings. Right. And you know, if you're really serious about your business, you should be willing to bet. Yes. You know, I've done this on, as a as an independent guy, as a web performance guy, saying, 
hey, I know I can improve the performance of the site by this much. Just give me half of your additional revenue you're going right. to make because your site's going faster. Right. Right. And, right. And you know, don't don't worry about my billing rate. And they never go for it because that's a lot of money. Right. It's cheaper to just pay my fee. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I think I think some of these some of these other models can help us move away from the I think the the the, the challenge of you know, I need to know exactly how much it's going to cost up sure. front. Right. Uh, yeah. And every time you you vary from that in any way, I'm going to complain. Yeah. Right? That's a very non-productive m- method, right? Right. Right. And there's the estimation is just as much of a black art in a in a dark hole as uh, as you know estimation of billing. How much right. you know? Right. How much will? How much time will it take? Well, that, you know, you know, and, you know, it's, it's it's interesting because because from a from a business standpoint, um, I, it, it, to some extent, I'm asking the wrong questions. How long will it take? Is not the question. Right. Right. right? When can I have it? That's is the, is the question, right? Right. That's actually that's as as the individual who's buying this thing. That's what I actually want to know. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the as the as the the folks that are actually delivering, um, our ability to estimate how long it will take uh, is 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 just ridiculously deficient. Yeah. Right. We 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 effectively can't do it. Um, but our ability to relatively uh, assess. How complex do I think this thing is? Is at least an order of magnitude better than our ability to to, to guess? Yes. How long will it take? Even though and I then find we, we consistently to... undermine that too. Yeah. Right. The moment you figure it out, it was easy. Right. Well, Doesn't yes. matter. It took you three months to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. But. Well, and it's kind of like the progress bar on a file download or upload, right? You know, the closer you get to the end, the more accurate the percentage, you know, the percent <laughs> yeah. finished it gets. You hope. I wonder you if hope. some of the I wonder if some of the metaphors that we that we have that we have used and therefore our customers use are hurting us, right? Yeah. So we talk about uh, what we call it engineering, right? Right? Um, and yeah, engineers hate that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same. You call you, oh, you want to really piss off an engineer? Call yourself an audio engineer. An audio yeah. engineer, yeah. even worse. Yeah, and you know, the, the, there's this indication of. Uh, we know we know what it's going to take to get this thing done, right? Yeah. And so the way that our projects are funded are as if we're buying a a thing, right? That's that's a known, right? Um, and really, what we do to to from a, from an analogous is more analogous to research and development. Yeah. And the way that companies fund research and development is different than the way that they fund building a new building. Yeah. Right. And there's reasons for that. And so we've kind of I think we've kind of put ourselves in a, in a, in a bad spot by, by adopting certain metaphors that have created these expectations and how do we, how do we move into uh, more of a software development is R and D. Right. And admitting that we don't know that part of the process will be learning, getting to know. Right. I um, had a, had a customer recently who really loved the fact that unlike their last uh, developer that they hired, when they asked me, you know, can can you do this? I would always say yes. I just don't know if I can do it now. Right? Yeah. I, yeah. yeah, I can. Yes, I know I can do that. I just don't know how, but I will figure it out. Right. And it, where the other the other people he would be used to. Well, you know, we you blah 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 blah. Right. Yeah. So I mean, that's the difference. But you know, they like that. Customers yeah. love the fact that you are excited about learning how to do something. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and you will get it done too. I think the, the the trust piece is really interesting. 
But what Agile to me really brought to the table is that we asked for smaller amounts of trust in littler chunks and had results that built on that trust over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, yeah, the whole app may take a year or two to build this full set of requirements, but you're going to see pieces of it along the way. Right. And you're going to have chances to change your mind. And nobody's going to be upset about that. Right. Like, that's actually a good thing. We're going to be honing in on the goal. Right. You think you know what the goal is today. And, you know, either you there's pieces of it you don't understand and we're going to need it clarified, or the goal is going to change. Both are possible in a time span like a year. Yeah. Yeah, and if you can, if you can actually, uh, if you can get something out there sooner, even though it is, uh, you know, not as, as feature-rich. Yeah. Right? If you actually look at the at the at the financial model on that, it's a smarter play. Yeah, um, I'm getting you know rather than making this huge investment uh, and then hoping for a return, you know at, at the end. At, at the end, I'm starting to get an incremental return, uh, you know at at an early stage of the project, right. and I'm learning as that's happening. So I'm able to actually, you know, make adjustments. I'm able to adapt what the product actually becomes. So by the time I get to the, to the, you know, let's say it's a 12 month project and we actually get the first, you know, first uh, MVP out after two months instead right. of after 12 months, yes. I've got, you know, I've got 10 months of, of learning, iterating and, you know, actual revenue starting to come in from that. When you get to the end of that year, you're in a much better financial position and market position for having launched early and learned yeah. than mm. if you and so I don't you know I also find that you almost inevitably yeah. the mo you do not have the most valuable domain expert at the beginning. No. It's after the first iteration when somebody's gonna poke their head up and go, you guys are doing this all wrong. <laughs> right? They gotta see something. Yeah. yeah. And they're not the most senior typically not the most senior person, but they're the person in the trenches or in the middle of it or has done it before or somehow deeply connected with the domain problem but is not necessarily visible into management or the go-to person for all of that. And you like, you know, at the end of the project, we'll go, it's like, we never would have done it without him. We didn't have him at the beginning. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, uh, and it's the sooner I could get that first iteration out and trip that person, better off we were. Absolutely. And the project just got immediately better. You've been, you had a bunch of different talks here at NDC, but I was really interested in this talk on agile metrics. Yeah. So, what are you talking about when you say agile metrics? So, um, the, the 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 subtitle of this talk is "Velocity is not the goal." Oh, interesting, right? Um, and this this talk has kind of evolved over time, um, but the the nexus was watching teams that were that were installing the agile. Right. right, you know, yep. I, I, you know, hey, I, th that looks good. Agile. Yeah, Got that looks squirt good. Bottle. Yeah, that looks that looks good. Give me some of that. Uh, but, yeah. I, but but I want to do a buffet style. Just give me this and this and this, but not that because that's inconvenient. Right. Um, anyway, as I'm watching these teams, uh, there's a there's this this I think common mistake that is made where we get obsessive about velocity. Right. It's a you know a, a simple measure of a team's throughput. Right. And so, how often they're checking in. Um, how much work is done in a given iteration? Right. Number uh, now of features? That, uh, yes, number of features. Uh, that might be measured in uh, in feature points or, you know. Don't however, say how, however, Yeah, no, please. Um, but however, <laughs> you're, however you're assessing uh, that something is done. It, 
right? Right. Um, so there are some teams that just basically, they count features. So yeah. if we get four features done in, in an iteration, whatever that iteration is, our velocity is four. Right. Others might count story points. Yeah. Um, so, you know, you might have a iteration. Once, it, once you figure out so that somebody knows how to decompose a feature to create more features out of it, yes. then the story parts come along. It just yep. seems so arbitrary, doesn't it? It, you know, it does, but it's, it, that's all about like, uh, uh, that's all about relativity and understanding with the, the, what happens when we're actually trying to estimate and sizing, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a whole kind of thing around that. Um, but with the, with the, with the velocity, what I noticed would happen is, uh, you get a team and, and after a couple of iterations, um, you know, they would hit, they'd have a iteration with a velocity of, let's just say four, right? Right. Uh, and then the next one's 10. Yeah. And, uh, management gets really excited. Because we're accelerating. We're accelerating. We were told that Agile was going to do this. This is awesome. Yes. So listen, what would be really great, actually, I looked at the backlog, and I looked at the timeline, and originally it looked like we weren't going to make it. But you guys went from 4 to 10. If you can get to 12, we'll hit the deadline. And if you can get to 14, we've got a buffer. Right. So let's try to get to 14 next iteration, (laughs) right? And we're trying to, you know, just, just, just try and get more done. Yeah. Right. Um, and there's becomes this obsession over velocity. Right. Um, and, and, and variably what ends up happening is the next iteration, then the team gets two. Yeah. I was going to hope for six, but yeah. okay. You know, yeah, but yeah, it's, yeah. so it, a lot of teams, it's just, it's, it's crazy variable. It's all over the place. It's fluctuating like crazy. That's because, you know, what's a feature yeah. to one person might be completely impossible to code, uh, you know, one and another one might be trivial. Right. Right. Granularity is an interesting problem. Absolutely. So story composition uh, becomes an issue here. Uh, and there's a ton of other factors that actually impact Sprints velocity. during summer when people are out. Right. Yeah. It's like they're going, well, what the hell went wrong here? It's like vacation. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's not wrong. It's what happens. This is what happens. This is kind of a natural cycle. Yeah. Um, you know, dependency on other teams. Uh, in, in the one sprint, we're delivering things that are... Uh, completely contained within this team. And the next sprint, we're actually trying to finish the integrations with the API team. And it turns right. out that they didn't meet their deadline. So blah, 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 right. Yeah. And all that cascades. So there are a ton of things that actually impact this, but, but the typically we just look at the outcome, just the number. And so the, the talk is, a, is, is basically about, um, there's a few different aspects of this, but, the, but I, I start with a, what I think is a, a relatively simple analogy to help kind of set what what actually is velocity and why can this be a problem, right? So if we look at, at, at velocity, it's a measure of, you know, work units over time, right? How much how much do we get done in a given iteration, yep. right? Um, it is a lagging indicator. Yes. So you do some stuff and then, then you, you measure get this, it. And then you, get, then you measure, right. right? And you get this thing. And right? You're only going to find out how many features you shipped in the sprint at the end of the at sprint. At the end of the sprint. Right. And... It is a lagging indicator of a very complex system. Mm-hmm. Everything from what's in the backlog to how's its size to what are my other dependencies to how many people are on the team to, you know, who's on the team, what are their, what right. are their actual, you know, competencies, et cetera, et cetera, right? If you look at the, the typical, uh, sprint model, there's all these loops and all this stuff that happens in a single iteration. Um, so lagging indicator of a complex system. What else? do we know of that we can maybe, you know, uh, for, for a purpose of analogy is a lagging indicator of a complex system. How about, um, uh, real estate prices or, or stock real estate market, prices, you know? stock market. Yeah. Uh, uh, unemployment. Yep. Right. So the one that I use in the talk is body weight. Lagging indicator. Absolutely. It is a lagging indicator of a complex system. Right. 
There are plenty of inputs. There's plenty of outputs. There's a ton of different factors, including genetics and other things that you may not even realize are happening, mm -hmm. right? So if I take that indicator, my body weight, and I set a goal for it, I set a target for it, and say, all right, in the last month, I lost five pounds. Right. So next month, in order to, to reach my goal of blah, mm -hmm. I'm going to need to lose at least eight, or I'm going to need to lose at least 12, or whatever that number is, right. right? What are all the things that you could do? You could increase your exercise. You could decrease uh, consumption of certain foods. Right. You could smoke crack. <laughs> you could <laughs> chop off a limb, yes. right? There are a number of things that you can do that you can will go actually into stasis. For yes, yeah. yeah. Check yourself into the hospital. And I've had people. Oh, you can meditate. Yes, you absolutely can, and you can hit that goal. What have you done to the overall health of the system? Right. Technical debt. Yes. Right, and that's so. It, focusing on velocity doesn't doesn't necessarily lead to the right kinds of right. behaviors. Well, I it, think you, you know, big thing here is and does harm. Yes, you know, the push to get the twelve features out impairs the next sprint. Right, you know, actually, you know, I've, and I've tried to use the feature count to show how technical debt was decelerating the overall system, but it's too erratic. Yeah. You know, but you, you totally with you. You hide the truth, right? The, you know, we're running the machine day and night, and we're rusting it out. Yes, yes, yeah. We're just—it's just getting worse and worse, right? Um, and so I talk a little bit about um, uh, the Hawthorne effect. Mm -hmm. um, you guys familiar with Hawthorne effect? We can do a, a, a quick on that, right? Please tell us, tell yeah. our listeners. So, so, um, so Hawthorne effect. Uh, the, the short version of the story, effectively, there's a lighting company. This is going back several years ago, um, I believe in Chicago. Uh, and it's almost it, apocryphal. Yeah, they were they were looking at uh, what is the what is the impact of ambient lighting on uh, worker throughput. Right. Right. They are a lighting company. They have a vested interest in this outcome. Sure. Um, and so they they bring in some folks and they run some experiments. Um, and these experiments have basically. Since this specific experiment has been debunked for several reasons, um, but other experiments like it have been done and the same and effectively the same outcome, right? So here's what they did. They, 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 they pulled the, the factory folks together and said, we're going to run this experiment. We want to see what the, what the effect of, of ambient lighting is on, you know, our, our efficiency within the organization. Uh, we've already taken a baseline, so we know what that is. Um, so we just got want to let you guys know what's going on because, you know, the lights are going to be changing. That's kind of weird. So in the next week, they, you know, increased the lighting, let's say. Right. right? And they took the measurements over a, a period of time and they looked at it and they said, oh, productivity went up. When the lighting went up. If you, if you increase the ambient lighting, productivity goes up. Oh, this is fantastic. This is really good news for our business. Sure. And someone said, hold on, hold on. This is supposed to be scientific. Right. Maybe we should try the do it the other way try the counter right yeah, all right let's, yeah. let's try that okay so then they lowered the lighting beyond what was the, you know, the original standard what do you think happened productivity went up productivity went up so they stood back they scratched their heads and said well this doesn't make any sense to anyone i, I don't understand what's going on here and they scrapped the experiment and they put the lights back to normal and what do you think happened productivity, productivity went, went up. up productivity went up again so when lights change productivity goes up <laughs> right <laughs> now over a period of time 
productivity eventually result, you know, uh, kind of normalized back to where it was supposed to be. Right. Yeah. So there's a couple factors here that 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 influenced this ex- this experiment. One was they told people up front what they were doing. Right. Right. And yeah. so they knew that lighting changes meant that there was a measure of productivity. Right. Right. When they canceled the experiment, they didn't tell anybody. Right. So when they set the lighting back to normal, everyone responded as if it were another a productivity change. A productivity yeah. ch- right. The other thing is, so 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 basically, a Hawthorne effect is that you know uh, what is measured gets improved, right? And it's right. more like what is reported on gets improved. If yes. people know that they're being watched for something, sure. then that thing improves. Yeah. But there's a corollary. There's a cost to that, and it's hidden somewhere, right? It, it, unless what you had was was a a factory full of workers who had been sandbagging so bad, right? That you could actually get these repeated productivity increases every time you just flick the light switch. Yeah, you know, you're, that's, you're, you're stressing them actually. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you know what you're not seeing is um, maybe they're staying longer, mm-hmm. maybe they're skipping lunches, um, maybe they're cutting corners on quality. Yeah, they're rushing. Maybe right, but something is happening that is allowing this. Yeah. Right. And, that, and if you're not measuring that as well, you're fooling yourself. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Nothing. Nothing is for free. There's yeah. a consequence. Yeah. Um, and so then I, then we, then we talk about, uh, uh, Goodhart's law, um, and Goodhart's law is, um, in summary, uh, any metric when you set a target for it, right. You, uh, you destroy the metric and thereby devalue the target. Right. right? Like it, it, the, the entire thing doesn't no, no longer matters. People right. will aim for the target, whether that actually makes them go faster, slower, it's mm-hmm. irrelevant. Right. They'll aim for the target. Right. Yeah. It's almost, it, you've, you've changed the system by, yeah. by setting this new goal for it. Right. This is actually from economic theory, which has then been proven to, to, to uh, apply to other domains, including software development. Mm-hmm. If you, if you take velocity and you set a goal for it, the moment you do that, that velocity measurement no longer means anything. Right. If that measurement no longer means anything, then the goal no longer means anything either. Mm-hmm. Right. Hey, Richard. Yeah, buddy. Know what time it is uh, now? It must be that happy time again. Yes, sir. Time to tell a bad joke and measure the results with a lagging indicator. <laughs> oh, wait. That was my lagging indicator. <laughs> <laughs> I think that thing. I had a mouthful of coffee. You were going to do a spit take on that one. <laughs> when nothing lagging about that indicator. <laughs> ask, me, ask me later. I'll tell you how to make that funny. Is that a lagging <laughs> indicator? I don't know. That's not a lagging indicator. That's pretty much I think it was a laughing indicator. It's an immediate indicator. Okay. <laughs> it's actually time to give away a component one studio. Enterprise collection to one lucky member of the .NET Rocks fan club. But before I tell you who the winner is, let me tell you that Component One has .NET controls for professional developers. Whether you're building the most modern touch-enabled apps or maintaining and updating legacy applications, their flagship product, Studio Enterprise, helps to deliver rich, responsive desktop and web apps on time and under budget. Awesome. And today's winner is Norm Crandall. Congratulations, Norm. Norm just won a Studio Enterprise collection from Component One. That's just about everything they do in one box. It's yeah. a great big collection. Uh, Component One, uh, of course, way back in the day. Data Dynamics. Was Data Dynamics, then bought by Grape City. And now Component One is a, com- uh, a combined, is a entity. combined yeah. entity with Grape City. They've been and with us still 10, 10 plus years, man. Yeah, it's a still, long time. Still kicking. 
So uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, go to .netrocks.com, click on the big Get Free Stuff button, answer a few questions, and join the .net Rocks fan club. We have thousands of members all over the world. Every show we give away great sponsor products like this. And every December we give away $5,000 worth of technology handpicked by one randomly picked member of the .net Rocks fan club. We've done it two years in a row now, and we'd like to ask our guest, Doc, if you had five grand to spend on technology today, like let's go shopping, what right. would you buy? If I had five grand today? doesn't have to be one thing. You could, you know. It doesn't have to be of, development stuff either. Yeah, you know what? It, I, I mean, going to be honest with you, it probably wouldn't be, yeah. right? Um, You're not alone. Yeah, yeah. Uh, man, I just, I just actually... Uh, I just actually fulfilled all my quotas. <laughs> well, you could do the Robert Scoble thing and donate it to a charity. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea. It's, a, it's yeah. an easy out, though. It's but an easy just, out. You've just right. moved, so yeah. I had to think you might have some gadgetization needed to go into the new house. Yeah, so we, yeah, so the we, we, thermostats and. Well, all right, so uh, we're in an apartment. Although I've thought about, I thought about uh, uh, getting the nest anyway. Yeah, right, and just replacing it, and then, and then, uh, and then Switch taking it back, it back when you go. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and I actually, not that this is very sexy from a technical standpoint, but I actually really want uh, an inline water filter. Yeah, uh, no, that's a good idea for for uh, yeah for the for the drinking water. Yep. Um, but yeah, we just got uh, we just got a sound bar for for the living room, and we just uh, we just got the new uh, the latest uh, Xbox. Um, so you've done the, you've done your surround sound with the sound bar where it actually bounces off the walls. Yeah, yeah. This, so so the 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 apartment that we're in uh, the, the is is actually. The living room is one large curved wall. Oh no! Right? It's, like, it's like a kind of cupola sort of thing, <laughs> right? And then, um, and it's uh, two plus stories high. Oh wow! And so I that the the sound bar is perfect. Wow! Um, in fact, so almost cool. the, the speakers like out a of shell. the shell. Yeah, yeah. Well, especially when you got a rental, like you don't want to throw wires, right? Nope. Right? You don't want to lay stuff on the ground. So these sound bars are quite clever. Yeah. And they and the programming effect of them, like listening to them, listen to themselves to try and figure out yeah. how loud each uh, each bounce is. It's it's really cool technology. Yeah, it's yeah. cool. So I've been happy with I've been happy with that. And they're and not then, cheap either. They're, they're, that's an expensive gadget. Yeah. Yeah, but it's, it's it was definitely it was definitely worth it. Yeah. Right. No, I, no, I, no. All those wires are gone. Yep. Um. It's so a, simple. Yeah. Yeah. Directional audio is a really interesting area. Like they, they're starting to get into interference audio where the, they're actually sending out two different sound sources aimed at a particular location and you only hear the sound when the two sources meet. The, the, you know, the thing that I don't like about directional audio is that invariably it involves phase cancellation. Yep. And so you end up losing frequencies, especially yeah. in the low spectrum because you're, you're really talking about canceling frequencies. Yeah. Fidelity problems. Fidelity problems. Right. Alignment yeah. problems. So really, there's nothing that can replace sitting in a in a well uh, controlled room with really good speakers and a really nice subwoofer, right? And you know, and perfectly ordinary cables. You do not need yes. directional speaker cables. No. It's all a lie, <laughs> a lie. There is such a thing as bad cables. Oh sure, there, and believe me, I know. You've just been through. I've this. just been You're through this. About it. Uh, you know. Uh, I won't say what store it was, but it rim, it it rhymes with Guitar Center. <laughs> and uh, they were selling these cheap Chinese XLR microphone cables for about ten bucks each, and they just had them on a ring. And you know, their regular cables, like Monster cables or even CBI cables or whatever, are on the wall, and they're twenty bucks. 
Right. Right. So they were, these guys were, you know, like blowing at blowout sale. And I'm like, okay, I'll buy a bunch of these. Yeah. It turns out the reason they were 10 bucks is because they don't work. They break. And on a gig, you know, they cut out your funny. microphone. When your microphone stops working on a gig, yeah, not it's funny. not good. So there is such a thing as bad cables, but you don't need to spend. You don't need the thousand dollars. Yeah, thousand dollars, hundred thousand dollars on a yeah, cable. It's hilarious. All um, right, that's another geek out show we'll do. Yeah, uh, uh, sound cables. Well, yeah. just just <laughs> audio snake oil. Yeah, this is a bunch of it because there's a lot of it. Well, your friend Ethan Weiner, he has debunked a ton of that stuff. Yeah, just showing what works, what doesn't. You know, and somebody brought it to my attention that this Pono thing that uh, uh, that you mentioned was brought up by uh, our, our friend, the coffee guy, right? Uh, Hugh, Hugh, Hugh Griffin is might be one of those things too, and you know, we'll 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 do that. We we'll deal with it. I, I did one on a handsome minutes a while, a long, long time ago, uh, a show about audio, but it's time to do it again. Yeah, absolutely. That's a geek out. Yeah. Hawthorne effect. Good Hearts Law. Good Hearts Law. Good Hearts Law. Yep. What's Good Hearts Law? Yep. So yeah, so Good Hearts Law. Um, uh, again, it's from it's from uh, economic theory. Uh, Charles Goodhart was actually an advisor to uh, the Bank of London mm-hmm. uh, in the seventies. Um, and he had written a fairly thorough critique of some of the policy that was being set uh, at that time, uh, uh, both uh, within the banks and, and uh, uh, within the government. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that he warned them about uh, was, you know, if you if you if you take some of these financial metrics that we are that we're looking at and we start setting targets for them, right. uh, as, you know, as a matter of, of uh, public policy or for any other reason. Uh, what immediately happens is you color the metric. Yeah, the the metric the, the 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 metric no longer means anything. Right, right, and therefore the 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 target is is invalid. So um, measure, but don't set targets. Right, and recognize that when you measure, you always affect results anyway. You're going to affect you are going to affect the outcome just yeah. through the very measuring itself. So right? don't set a target, but publish the metric. I think it's make, yeah. make the number visible. Yeah, yeah, make the number visible and recognize it for what it is. Mm-hmm. Right, recognize it as a as a trailing indicator as. Uh, as one piece of information and, and, and velocity is actually a relatively anemic piece of information. Right. Mm. I cannot glean much from that. If I look at a, at a, uh, at the velocity of a team over time and I see that it's wildly variable, all I know is that it's wildly um, variable, right. right? I can speculate about all kinds of things. I can say, oh, well, the developers are all lazy or right. this happened or that happened. That's so dangerous but, to do that. But though. I don't actually know. And you and shouldn't. I, and, I, and I can't know from that data. We also deal with cultural issues where, I mean, folks want to know, is that good? Is that bad? Am I getting better? Yeah, I think what so. would good look like? Like, even when you don't set a bar, people demand a bar. Yeah. And if you don't give them one, they create a bar. I think it's a human issue, not a cultural issue. That's, yeah. that's just our human nature to want to have answers when we don't. And when, and when we don't have answers, we make stuff up. Right. I mean, that's what humanity is all about. That's why we have religion. That's why. Because yeah. I, I need an answer. Don't right. say that to us. But I mean, I've also, I mean, the cultural part is what measures you feel are important too. Yeah. You know, I think Western culture is far more based on the, the uh, win-loss mindset of I can only win if that guy loses. Like I've worked in enough different cultures now where there are folks that just react to those numbers differently and, and, and perceive that stuff differently. Yeah. So there is some challenge around just, you know, if I get a group of serious A-type devs, and I've been in a group like that, and you publish any measurements at all, they're all about comparing against each other. 
Yeah. Like it, be, it can become quite destructive. And you sort of have to set guidance around it so that the, the bars make sense. Yes. Yeah. And there's a lot of folks that, that um, uh, are, they've had enough experience with uh, different managers, different leaders um, that they don't want, you know, they don't want metrics because of the blowback that comes from leadership. Sure. Right. So you've got, you've got both the response of the team itself and then you have, you know, the fear of. Uh, you know what management might do or say based on the information right. that we've gathered, and how, yeah, and how we react to those numbers. Um, where I, I've gotten into nasty traps is starting to measure bugs per feature. Sure, you know, it's like this. Here's this guy produces more bugs per feature than anybody else. He writes the hardest features, you know, and now he's starting to because he's getting blowback because his bug counts are relatively high for the complexity of the work he's doing. Starting to avoid the hard features, and I'm impairing the progress of the project. Right. Because he's actually the right guy to write this feature. But because we create, we, we published a metric around it, you know, that, that people are creating pressure on. Right. You know, it's, it, I think it's very challenging. I, I don't want to come out of this doc with don't measure. No, 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 no. I, yeah. And, and I, think, I, think there's, I think there's a lot of folks that, um, uh, you know, I, I had a period where I think people thought that's what I was advocating for. Right. Right. So when I look at a team and we look at, and we look at velocity and it's variable and we have all these different factors, right? And, and, and so what do we do? Right. We know that, we know that, uh, you know, just measuring it means, you know, means that, you know, it's, it's, that influences it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if we set a target for it, we then it's it no worse. more value. And, right. So, um, one of the things that I do with teams is, uh, we'll introduce a cumulative flow diagram, which is, which is actually a, a very simple tool. So, uh, you know, agile team, right. Um, you typically have some backlog of work, yep. and then you have, uh, you know, maybe it's um, uh, maybe it's ready for development, it's in development, it's ready for final testing, it's ready for acceptance, and then it's in production, right? Mm -hmm. And these are obviously very, you know, typ typically these are very short phases that all happen to a a, a story within an, within an iteration, right? right? So um, what I'll do, and and every it doesn't matter to me what those lanes are, yeah, as long as you have them and know what they are, mm -hmm. right? Um, so every day, uh, let's say it's a team that does, uh, standups, right? At the end of standup, look in each of those lanes and quantify in whatever way you would, uh, how much work is in each of the lanes. So if it's just counting features, that's great. If it's adding up story points, that's great. If it's adding up work hours, that's fine. I didn't, you know, if it's ideal days, I don't care what your unit of measure is. You can use, you know, uh, frogs and crickets for all I care. Just, you know, however you do that, uh, quantify it, throw it into a spreadsheet, and then basically highlight all of it and say, give me a stacked area graph. Right. Right. And what you see out of that is the flow of the work through the team. Right. From uh, it's ready to be worked on to it's actually done. Right. So as I, as I, you know, the, as I call it the, hey, wouldn't it be nice if to, hey, ain't that nice. Right. <laughs> nice. And what you can actually see out of this is where are some of your bottlenecks. Right. Um, and that gives you a, that gives you different insight into your velocity, right? You're actually starting to see what's behind that. Yeah. What's, right? what, what is, what are stressors in the velocity? Yes. Um, and, and so, you know, we may find things like, um, gee, it looks like, it looks like, uh, almost an elephant, you know, uh, being eaten by a snake, right? There's all this big glut of work that kind of moves through the diagram all at once. And then right. another big glut of work that moves through the diagram all at once. And it moves really slowly. Okay. Well, what does that mean? What that probably means is 
everyone on the team is working on something different from everybody else and is probably working on two or three things right. at the same too time. Much. Right. Yeah. So you've got too much work in process. Right. Everything is moving slow. And that can create a variable velocity. But now we can see what that looks like. Right. So we can talk about, well, let's limit our whip. Let's try and actually, everybody just work on one thing at a time and get it completely done. And, right. And there's all kinds of arguments. Because context that, right? changes is expensive. It is. It's very right. expensive. I mean, you've got the implication from the not that we're paying a price in context switches, but it's very hard to measure context. Yes. So what you would do is break down your sprints into more granular pieces. Yeah, I would say, I would say, uh, so let's say at the beginning of a sprint, we, we look at, um, there's 12 items in the backlog and there's the three of us, right? Right. So we, the way we break it down is each of us has four stories that we need to do. Right. Right. And oftentimes it'll happen is I'll start on one and then I'll feel like, uh, I'm not really sure what to do here. So I'll I'll go start in another one. And then that gets blocked. I'm waiting on so-and-so. Right. Yeah. So instead what we'll say is like, look, each one of us is going to agree that you're going to pick the highest priority story. Yeah. And you're going to see it all the way through. And you're going to do that tenaciously. Right. When right? it gets hard is when it gets valuable. Yes. Yeah. You know, bring in someone else for help. If you're blocked on, you know, that gal over there because she's actually got to approve the schema change. Right. Don't send an email and then wait. No. And then switch. Get up, to, walk over there. Right. And have a, nice, have a nice chat with her, but have a nice chat with her. But right? move the ball forward. Yes. Move this thing forward. It's so forward. much easier to just context switch and pick up the next item and still feel productive. Still feel I productive. I move the ball yep. forward today. Right. Yes. Right. yes. Right. But I mean, all of this, right, activity is not... Is not, not necessarily productivity, productivity yeah. right? I can sit on a rocking horse all day and I'm not moving anywhere, right? Um, <laughs> Very well but you said. look busy. Yeah, but you look <laughs> extremely busy. Yeah. So, so we can just we can just agree to that simple change. Mm-hmm. And oftentimes, what we end up seeing is, hey, wait a minute, we're actually we're actually getting more done in in an, and even if we're not getting more done at this at this time, I don't care about that. What we're what we're actually starting to focus on is stabilizing right right let's just get predictability yeah and we can use this cumulative flow diagram to to measure that and to see right so another thing might be that instead of seeing this big glut that moves all the way through we see a a steady stream of work that suddenly piles up in one lane right all right we have a different problem so we have a different problem and we can address that problem maybe we don't have enough folks uh that are so maybe our product owner is uh, waiting till the end of an iteration to do all of the approvals right. because, you know, he or she is thinking, well, you know, it's, you know, I just, I mean, it's only two weeks sprint. We'll just wait to the end. Yeah. Sure. What that means is your feedback cycle on a feature that you worked on on day one yeah. is it's four two weeks is, is, yeah, is, yeah. Is, is, is 10 days later. When he's totally forgotten everything yeah. about it. And you've it. already done three other stories and you yeah. and you know, it's kind of, it's foggy and right. Um, so we just have to educate that product owner. Sure. But, but this helps us see those types of things. Right. Um, the next thing that I'll do is, um, as, as teams are talking about, um, Hey, maybe we should try, uh, maybe we should try pairing more, or maybe we should try TDD, or right. maybe we should make this other change, right? Um, how do you know that that change is having any kind of an impact? Yeah. So, um, what outcome do we expect from that and how could we measure it and then actually look at, um, scatter diagrams for correlation. Right. Right. So we can actually determine, you know, we can actually see, and we can't necessarily say that it's totally cause and effect, but we can at least see some correlation between, uh, yeah, we started pairing. Um, and in the beginning, everything seemed to slow down. And then after a while it actually got better. 
and now we're actually doing better than we were, you know, b- you know, before individually, right? Yeah. And it seems to be related to you know this thing that we changed. Um, so it's just a way of of actually being able to 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 determine are the changes we're making having the impact that we well, expect. Well, in, in your continuous flow diagram, I would think the biggest thing that happens when you get into pairing is, at least in my experience, has been when it gets hard, you don't lose velocity. Right. Like the second set of eyes and the second mind is specific. When the code's easy, it doesn't seem to make much difference. The moment there's a stumbling block, the moment there's something, some struggle, the second mind makes a huge difference. Yeah. You, you don't thrash for as long. You come at problems from different angles. You know, that's what makes the difference there. Yeah. It's not at the beginning. It's about halfway through when the first big bumps start coming in. That seems to be the difference. So yeah. it becomes a lot evener flow. Yeah. Yeah. I, pairing is interesting, right? Pairing is a very interesting thing. So a lot of people that I, as, 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 uh, as we talk about it, they're like, oh yeah, pairing is great because then your senior guy can, you know, teach, can, junior, can, guy. Can teach junior guy, right? right. And, and, well, uh, the junior guy's not working on any features. The senior guy's moving slower. How is that great? How is that great? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so there's, there's, I have, a, I have a whole, I have a, a blog post on, on, uh, harmonic mean, right? Right. Um, and, uh, and how that applies, uh, within a team. So when you pair a, you know, a very senior dev and you make her sit with, you know, the new junior guy right out of college. Right. Um, you know, what, what are you actually getting? Well, harmonic mean, uh, always favors the slower right. of, of the two. Right. Yeah, the and old philosophy ex- of be the worst player on your team. Yeah. yeah. Which is, yeah. And that's exactly what you're getting great out of this. Great for so him. Not yeah. so great for yeah, her. Not so great for her. Right? right. So you're actually better off, uh, for a longer term pairing, pairing folks that are, uh, just slightly off in, right, in, right. Uh, from one another in competency, and now you're getting a, 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 a you know a normalized mean for those for those folks. Yeah, that's um, and highly productive. Yes, but right? I just like to have the second set of eyes for so many reasons, yeah. especially yeah. hard code. Yeah, you know that two people actually know it and contributed to it. And yeah, that that we didn't pair for everything, strangely, but there were certain ways like that's a tough one. Can we go together on this? Right. And, right, and that made such a difference. That and you want to pair somebody anal with somebody who's who's, who's more creative. creative, who's more creative. Working, yeah, working. Yeah. Pers- yes. pa- right, personality pairings is huge. Is very is very big. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I I think when it's done well, so you hear the uh, you hear the like the the pilot co pilot metaphor or the right. driver passenger metaphor, right? I think when it's done well, it's actually just a conversation. Yep. Right. What's happening is, um, you know, you and I are sitting there, and I'm going to say, you know what, you know, what? I, I I think. I think I'm going to try it like this. And I'm right. actually, as, as I'm saying like this, maybe I'm explaining a little bit of the object model that I think I'm, that I'm heading towards, right. but I'm actually yeah. starting to write the code. And you're, you're, now you're, you're, you're in this conversation with me and you say, well, you know, I'm not so sure that's really a good, a good idea. I, th- I actually, I think that this behavior belongs in another class. And I go, well, what do you, what do you, you say, yeah, let me show you. And right. you start, right? So I love the two keyboards, two mice, uh, setup for pairing so that the, the token is no longer, uh, an impediment, yes. right? I don't Move. have to ask you for permission to take the keyboard yes, mouse. Right. It's I can just simply start, right? And and if you watch a real, if you watch a a set of folks who have become proficient at this and have done it enough, it is just a conversation. Mm-hmm. And when it's all done, no one knows who wrote what code no, is on right. the screen, and it doesn't matter. No. Right. And you've you've you know pushed each other's thinking. And you've challenged one another, and ideally you've moved this thing in, you know, in the right direction. And there are those moments where it's it's in the afternoon. I had kind of a heavy lunch. This is sort of a hard problem, and the easy path is to just sort of do this thing. And hopefully, because we're really paying attention, right? You know, you're kind of tempted to do the easy thing too. Yeah. 
But you're probably going to at least say, oh, dude, you know what? We sh- really should probably, you know, not do that and do this. Ah, you're probably right. And neither yeah. one of us alone, both of us would have taken the easier path. The easier path. But together, okay, and we'll do, you know. Knowing when to go get coffee, too, right? <laughs> yes. Like this, the other thing I found with the pair of groups, like, we're both dragging. Let's go get coffee. As yeah. opposed to continuing to write the code. That's right. Or, or you know, getting distracted from. It's like yeah. Knowing when to stop. Know when to stop. Yeah. You know, I think that as soon as you introduce another pair of eyes, that that does that. And I don't want to drive too hard just on pairing. But because uh, we're coming down to the end of the show here. Sure. Looping back on the agile metrics here. How do you measure quality of software? Yes. Because yes. we've been talking about understanding velocity. Yeah. And I, and I do certainly appreciate your thinking that when we work on one thing, because we do less context switching, I know that creates better quality. How do I measure it? How do I actually measure the, the, the quality? And this is actually a real challenge, right? Um, I, I, you know, I, 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 don't, I don't begin to presume that the things that I'm doing are a complete answer. Right. Um, uh, from a development standpoint, um, we look at a number of different uh, metrics in ter- and it's really all just static analysis stuff, yep. right? So we look at um, uh, cyclomatic complexity. Easy yeah. one, right? built into Studio. Yep. Sure. Yep. Um, it's actually one of the things I like about Studio is the maintainability index, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's a fairly reasonable heuristic, right? Yeah. It's um, bad it's, on it's, certain it's, features. Like it overweights Link and there's, yeah. there's a few other things, but for me, it's just a radar piece. It's like if we're going to go look at something, we can't look at everything. Right. Look at the high number ones. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's all of these metrics, the same thing, right? They're just one piece of data. They're one, uh, one, one aspect right. of the overall. And again, if you set system. a hard number on cyclomatic complexity, you're asking for trouble. Yes. Yeah. Oh, no, absolutely. Horrifying. Yeah. No, 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 not at all. I, I, what I'm, what I, um, uh, you know, I, I look at code coverage. Use it sure, as a right? smell. Um, yeah. Look at if you can, if you can, uh, if you can find tools that will actually quantify it, afferent and afferent coupling. Yeah. Right. But you need to know, when are those things good and when are those things yeah. bad, right? Um, there are times when you want a system to be tightly coupled. I'm writing a service for you know consumption by others, and I actually want more coupling there than I yeah. do for you know um, uh, my my web front end. I want it to be as loosely coupled as possible, right? Yeah. So there's you know you've got to know when these things actually make sense, and it's always uh, don't set targets for them. Yep. Right, and any moment in time is meaningless. What you need to look at is trending. Yes, which is, way are we going? Wh- which way are we going? And then match that against your expectations. So there, you know, there are folks that say, "Well, you know, uh, your you know your code coverage should never ever go down. Um, your cyclomatic complexity should never ever go up." You know, and well, these are this is the same thing as setting a target. Right. Yeah, right. Sure. What you need to look at is, I mean, there are times where it makes sense. We've got to get this thing out. Um, you know, the, the trade show's coming up. If we miss this trade show, there's not another one for another year. Yep. Um, we have decided as a team Only that we are willing to take these shortcuts in order to make the trade show, and we're going to pay this off later. Yeah. And so as long as we to, pay it off. We get to the end of the iteration, and what we find is, hey, you know what? Uh, cumulative flow looks good. Uh, we got done the things we needed to get done. And guess what? Our velocity metrics took a little bit of a dip. Or not velocity, I'm sorry. Our quality metrics it took a little bit of a right. dip. Is that what we expected? Actually, it is what we expected. Yeah. Are we okay with this? We are okay with this. Right. Do we know what we're going to do about it? Yes, we know what we're going to do about it. Great. Yeah. But if you don't measure that stuff and you don't introduce it into the conversation, yeah. then it's really easy in the next iteration to, to kind of forget that you made those sacrifices. That you have a debt. 
Uh, yeah. Ignore, it's easy to ignore the debt. Yeah. Doc, uh, this has been like a free hour of consulting you know, <laughs> for all these thousands of listeners uh, all over the world. It's been great for them, I'm sure. And for us, too. Thanks so much for sharing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. Yeah, it's been great. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Plop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a dog.